Hello everyone, this is Tom Uren and I'm here with another Risky Business News sponsored interview. Today I have Selena Larson, Senior Threat Intelligence Analyst at Proofpoint. Good day, Selena, how are you? Good, thanks, how are you? Good. I thought I'd kick off with a question about just how the landscape is changing. So we spoke, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago. What, what have you learned? What, what have you noticed? And how in your time at Proofpoint have you seen things evolve and change? Yeah, so right now, at least from the e-crime side of the house, that's very much where I focus, the e-crime ecosystem, it is in a sort of state of change. There are some key things that we have observed over the last few years, certainly. Number one, an increase in the unique and difficult attack chains that we see from our threat actors. They're not you know, consistently doing the uh, click to enable macros and you get infected. Now they have to jump through a lot more hoops from the end user perspective. There's a lot more engagement required in order to actively deploy whatever the payload is. That's number one. Number two, I would say too, what we've seen from example, uh, ransomware threat actors is also a lot of rapid development and change in some of their TTPs. We've seen uses of zero days, for example. You see targeting of the supply chain, targeting um, file transfer services, a lot of interesting attack patterns that the ransomware threat actors are doing, certainly continuing to make millions of dollars. And then there's also this trend of kind of using other services, not so much email, right? Email is consistently used and we see it all the time, but you see things like cloud services teams, for example, being an attack vector, um, as well as a variety of social media platforms, other sort of off email applications and services that are kind of acting as an initial access, initial contact vector for some of these threat actors. So I'm a kind of glass half full person. So you talk about actors having to get people to jump through more hoops. Uh, that seems like a win. And also the migration away from email, I mean, it's not necessarily a win. But to me, it tells me that their life is getting harder so that there's at least someone having some success. Do you see it like that or am I just uh, yeah, too I, much of an optimist? I don't know if it would say a migration away from email, more of an expansion to include right. All yeah. of the possible uh, ways of potentially compromising somebody. And I definitely don't want to take all the credit for it. But yes, I do think in many ways, email delivery is becoming less effective. There's a variety of reasons. Certainly security tools like Proofpoint, we are you know big reason, you know, we block the bad stuff. Um, but there's also this increase in user awareness and education, potentially the ease of exploitability via social engineering on other platforms. Uh, Teams is one example. Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, we published some research on the various ways that threat actors can exploit teams from post-account compromise manipulation to weaponizing meeting invitations. But this is kind of part of that overall trend. So you see chat applications, social media, certainly with North Korean threat actors using LinkedIn. Recently, that was a good example. The Iranian actor WeTrack, TA456, has used Facebook for sort of the long game social engineering. And I think pig butchering is another kind of interesting example of this where they go after people on uh, Tinder or WhatsApp or some of these other applications. And, and corporate visibility is really reduced on all of these things. So that, I think, kind of helps drive that innovation. Yeah, I wrote a piece about pig witchering and it was really stunning the scale of the people involved and really quite That's tragic. Good. Essentially forced labor being compelled to run these scams. Yeah, I, I, I honestly 
feel really sad when I think about pig butchering because there's just a lot of victims involved and it's mm. a, it's a tragedy on both sides and it, it it's it's bigger than a cybersecurity problem it's very much a social problem it's really sad i think you know like with apts you kind of sometimes think well spies are going to spy yep. um but people who are forced into doing this labor and committing crimes and stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from people and then that impact on the victims is just honestly really devastating. It also strikes me as the sort of crime like BEC where it's really difficult from a technical perspective to do anything with it in, in the sense that there's no malware, there's no payload, there's no not necessarily any links to click on. It's, it's essentially just convincing people to do things. Now, I wondered if you'd thought at all about how AI technologies might change both, air quotes, traditional um, <laughs> cyber-based scams, but also compromises and things like that. Yeah, I, I will know though with pig butchering, they often do direct victims to certain websites. So right. if you do have detection of those sites, and oftentimes they can be somewhat automated if you're keying on certain characteristics or keywords of the website itself or the kits that they're using to build them. Mm -hmm. So that that is one part. But yeah, overall, it is very much a social engineering threat. And it's preying on people when they're very vulnerable and convincing them via social engineering to basically do what you want them to do. And I think from the perspective of artificial intelligence, I think AI can potentially help scale some of the targeting and potential operations of a lot of these threats. But ultimately, what we're seeing now is content that we suspect to be AI generated is just very similar to what we were seeing previously, right? If anything, it's longer, which I find very funny because like who has the time to read like 500 word emails? <laughs> um, <laughs> but from from the perspective of, of detecting badness, business email compromise, the fundamentals of those uh, conversations, of those exchanges, like don't really change. They're using the same type of lures, asking the same type of information. Or I think LLMs could potentially change in terms of the conversation or maybe furthering social engineering is doing better at sounding more authentic in maybe languages that the right. attacker isn't a native speaker in. I think Japanese might be a really great example. But we personally don't have, or at least I haven't seen enough data that says, yes, I can make a high confidence assessment that AI-generated lures or AI-generated social engineering is more effective than what we're already seeing. I would love to ultimately see data, data on that yeah, uh, to prove yeah. it one way or the other. <laughs> Yeah, it seems to me that if it was going to make a huge difference, perhaps we might know already. Like uh, maybe you'd be overwhelmed with <laughs> successful new scams or something like that. So maybe it makes a difference at the margins, but isn't a step change. Yeah, I think the scalability of something or from information operations, again, very much a scale thing where, you know, the, there's a playbook that's been written. You can copy and paste via AI apps or whatever to kind of scale what's already been done and proven effective. But I'm kind of wait and see mode. I don't see any evidence of it being a super game changer at this time. Have you thought about how you could use it 
on your side, like what you would do oh, yeah. to, to make, yes, go on, tell us. Uh, so we, uh, on the proof point throughout our research team, we were using AI before it was cool. Um, yep. we, <laughs> what so, did you call it back then? <laughs> well, so actually our internal tool is called Camp Disco um, and it's machine learning, of course, right? Not artificial intelligence. But, yep. um, so, um, so yeah, so we use this tool called Camp Disco and essentially it uses machine learning to automatically cluster likely related threats and then it just surfaces that and as a researcher we can go into our dashboard and search around these sort of interesting clusters so the clustering can be based on various characteristics you know powershell commands file names domains hash values you know ips a lot of really interesting artifacts that we grab from our data set and the AI kind of smushes it together and is like, hey, this probably belongs together. Yeah. And so we can kind of go in and click around. And it's honestly something, it's it's legitimately a tool that could save us like hours, if not days yep. of like poking and hunting in our own threat data. So I use it a lot. I think it's really fun. We found some really fun threats. And as far as, you know, kind of experimenting and playing around with a lot of this stuff, I think that there's a lot of experimentation going on. For example, my colleague Tim Crompart and I, we worked on um, a prototype of a tool that could conduct automated conversations with a potential actor or scammer to try and get them to drop their payload. So in a lot of ways, I see some really unique ideas and potential use cases of things being like a little mini threat researcher or like your assistant SOC analyst, really like streaming workflows and enabling researchers to do our jobs a lot more quicker, a lot more effectively, but but very much kind of like an assistant or a tool for that, not necessarily like right. taking our jobs type of thing. <laughs> right, right. So last time we spoke, you talked about how some of the threat actors have seem to have development teams that are looking for opportunities to... Uh, I guess weaponize would be the word. And you seem to have been going through this process of brainstorming or, or actually trying out AI. Do you think that they're doing the same thing and having like brainstorming sessions, sitting around um, and uh, doing the exact yes. opposite where you're trying to have automated conversations with a target and get them to accept the malware? You know, maybe. I mean, I would... I would be surprised if they weren't, frankly. I mean, everyone is doing it right now, right? Whether it's the good guys or the bad guys, it's a conversation that is happening at every single level of organizations from, you know, people like me who are trying to make my job day-to-day -day easier all the way up to how can we, you know, monetize this as a business and grow mm. our business. And if you think about it, e-crime is a business. And the tide of industry and the tide of business decisions impacts e-crime as well, right? And we've seen it historically where cyber criminals will take a look at the threat landscape. They'll say, okay, what are organizations doing to make our jobs harder? For example, blocking macros, for example, MFA everywhere. And how can we innovate to get around that? So we're seeing the result of both of those things now currently. And so I'm sure that, you know, these tools and resources that are widely available to everyone are being experimented with on the threat actor side too. So there hasn't been anything that I'm like, wow, that's really crazy. And I've seen yep. like crazy innovation from threat actors. But of course, I think there's a lot of technological innovations that have been like, whoa, that's actually pretty cool when it actually comes around. So, so we'll see. Right, right. I wonder if the tool you were talking about that would try and convince a threat actor to drop their payload, you could just use it without even necessarily looking at the payload as a way of just sucking up their time. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've got a friend who'll just engage with the Microsoft scammers, <laughs> to, you know, take them hours to, to yeah. get really annoyed with him. 
the whole scam baiting community i mean it is alive and well uh on youtube and reddit so i mm. think that wasting attacker time i i i'm sure there's probably a tool out there that already does this using chat gpt so <laughs> kudos to whoever invented that <laughs> so in the last one of proof point thanks a lot thank you